Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host. This is Michael Cutler, and I am happy to join you at the end of the week. It is March the 22nd, 2019. Spring is in the air, finally. Um, And perhaps there'll be some clarity in the air also. The Mueller report apparently has been released. Um, I, I just got a quick blurb as I went on the air that the um, result was that there was no collusion uh, between the Russians and the 2016 presidential campaign. But I'm not going to address that because I haven't seen enough material to be confident that this is entirely accurate, although I suspect that it is. We live in a very dangerous world, very dangerous and bizarre times. uh, And the American people have right to not trust their own government or the news media. We're in a terrible spot. And uh, immigration figures prominently into so many of the issues that we face, so many of the challenges that America faces. And my goal, as you know, if you're familiar with the program, is to provide my perspectives to you on the immigration crisis, which, number one, is truly a crisis. And number two is not a single issue, but a singular issue, because it profoundly impacts just about everything that we face, whether it's national security, public safety, public health, the economy, jobs for Americans, education, health care, infrastructure, all of those significantly impacted by how we enforce our immigration laws or fail to enforce the immigration laws. And I want to begin by making it clear, and I make it clear as often and as frequently as I can, whether I've been testifying before Congress or appearing in the media, Being pro-enforcement is not being anti-immigrant. In in point of fact, my own uh, mother was an immigrant. I'm first-generation American. My dad's parents came here from Russia, Romania. My first wife, who tragically died of cancer 32 years ago, her parents survived the Holocaust. Her mother was in a concentration camp. Her father uh, lost uh, most of his family to the Nazi bums. Uh, in Poland, uh, which is where my grandmother was also slaughtered because we're Jews. Immigration isn't about opposing foreign nationals coming to America. It's not based on xenophobia. It's not based on race. It's not based on religion. And everything that I say on my program, I want you to realize is based in fact. And if you read my articles, whether it's at Front Page Magazine, I've also written articles um, for The Social Contract. Occasionally, I contribute to Newsweek. If you read my articles, you know that I will frequently include a link to a section of law to substantiate what I'm telling you. We need to deal with the truth, not with a fantasy, not with fabrications, not with the efforts of the globalists to be found in both political parties, but we've got to deal with reality. And unfortunately, the mainstream media, for a bunch of reasons, has become determined to become the Ministry of Truth straight out of George Orwell's 1984. If there's one book that I would urge you to read, it in fact is George Orwell's 1984. It's a short read, but it will provide you with tremendous insight, I believe. What we think of as being politically correct language today, all too frequently, is really newspeak. Modifying the thought process by modifying the language, we alter the way people understand the issues. I can't emphasize this enough. And these aren't left-right issues. The media keeps on hammering the idea that you have to be some right-wing nut, a zealot of the worst kind, to want the immigration laws enforced and our borders secured. 
So let me start out. Again, if you're not familiar with me, this may shock you. If you are, this is an old story. I am a lifelong registered Democrat. I'm a labor guy. My dad was a construction worker, a tradesman. He'll always be my biggest hero right next to my mom. I carried my father off his job his last day of work. He was dying of lung cancer, in part because he worked in the Navy shipyards during the Second World War. He had this patriotic fervor to contribute to the war effort. The military wouldn't take him. His brother was in the Army Air Corps because of the Sullivan brothers. Um, if you were the sole surviving male member of your family, they wouldn't take you. And my dad wanted desperately to contribute to the war effort since he was a plumber by trade, as he would say. He worked on the ships, worked on the battleships, the aircraft carriers. His goal was to do whatever he could to help defend America. So uh, if you look at blue-collar Americans, they're the heart and soul of our country. They are the people who built, they're the ones who put up the building and built the roads, uh, assembled the cars on the assembly lines, built the airplanes, built the trains, built the infrastructure. Without blue-collar America, we'd be living under trees in the middle of nowhere. So if you favor American workers, you certainly don't want to displace them with foreign workers. When we bring in foreign workers, especially illegal aliens, this is not an act of compassion. It's an act of betrayal. There is no compassion in exploiting vulnerable, desperate people. And yet, this is the garbage that we've been spoon-fed for decades. Oh, the Americans are too lazy to do the physically demanding jobs. Go by, by the construction sites and see tradesmen working, folks. They're out there in the dead of winter. They're out there in sweltering summer. It doesn't matter. No job is too difficult, too dirty, too back-breaking, back, back if I can get the words out, or too dangerous. Tradesmen in the construction trades are far more likely to be injured or killed than law enforcement officers. Think about that. My dad was so proud to be a tradesman. I was so proud of him. And I don't believe tradesmen are less skilled than accountants. And if you give me a choice of having lunch with a bunch of bankers or a bunch of hard hats, you know where my heart lies, where my uh, loyalty would lie, because blue collar builds America. And we have decimated the building trades by bringing in day laborers who do a lousy job. They're not skilled people, but they're cheap. And unscrupulous constructing uh, companies will bring in unskilled workers to save money. It's all about the buck. Um, look, you saw what happened with the Boeing airplane crash. So if the story is true, uh, it's horrifying that, again, CBS News reported here in New York today, Boeing airplanes that were involved in the two recent crashes did not have safety features on board because the uh, airline that purchased the airplanes didn't spend the extra $80,000. These planes cost well over $100 million, but they left out an $80,000 device that would alert the pilot if there was a computer malfunction. Again, this is how CBS reported it here in New York today. This is unconscionable, but it's what we keep seeing again and again and again. We're going to save the buck. We're going to put that money away. We're going to do something engineers know is cost out. Make the product as cheaply as possible so if we could save a fraction of a penny per item and we sell a million items, look at all the money the corporations are going to make. They're doing cost out with American jobs, giving them to foreign workers rather than Americans, destroying the American dream for Americans and making certain to exploit foreign workers. So if people want to know why I'm a Democrat, I'm a Democrat in, in, in the spirit of Harry Truman or JFK, Democrats who were patriotic and who stood behind the American worker. Today, when the Democrats stand behind American workers, those American workers better look out. They better look out. Neither party gives a rat's tail about the average American worker today, and that's how the wheels came off the wagon. There was a time decades ago when I was growing up that the Democrats looked out for the American workers, and the Republican Party looked out for the corporations and the business owners. And both sides of that equation have always been battling back and forth. That's how labor unions arose after the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory fire. We saw abuses by employers. So the unions rose up to counter the employers. 
now the unions are just as bad because they came to the same conclusion. And I wrote about this in my recent article. The unions, when they couldn't get enough members, said, wait a minute, if we could represent the illegal aliens, that gives us more people. And more people gives us political leverage. And more union members gives us more union dues. Bingo. You've got a win-win. More money, more people, more leverage, more power. And they were off to the races. I remember as an immigration agent early in my career raiding the sweatshops. And very often, bail bondsmen would show up at the office before we got there, sent there by the Lady Garments Worker Union and other unions. Our people were arrested. Bail them out. That was the orders they gave the bail bondsmen. The hell with the American workers who were being displaced by people who shouldn't be working here. We don't have a shortage of workers in America, folks. We have a shortage of workers who won't tolerate illegal working conditions and unfair wages. That's what the problem is. This is about finding the cheapest way of getting the job done, even if it means it's a substandard job, and even if it means betraying Americans who've worked for these companies for many years. That's where we're at today. And immigration figures prominently in all of this. You see, immigration isn't a broken system. It's a delivery system. And I've come to the very unhappy and unsettling conclusion that what the immigration system delivers is an unlimited supply of cheap, exploitable labor, an unlimited supply of foreign tourists, which is why we still have a visa waiver program, which should never have been created. It was created by Ronald Reagan along with the first amnesty. This isn't a left-right issue, folks. Both sides of the aisle are guilty, guilty of undermining national security and public safety and the jobs of Americans so that certain select few could literally make out like bandits. Both sides of the aisle did this to us, you see. And certainly after 9-11, when the 9-11 Commission, to which I provided testimony, made it crystal clear that we've got to tighten up the visa process, the Chamber of Commerce steps in and says, no, you're going to expand the visa waiver program. So we went from 26 visa waiver countries on 9-11. Today, we're up to 38. I will tell you, though, that not one new country has been added to that list since President Trump was elected. I don't agree with everything he does. I certainly wish his language was far more nuanced. I cringe sometimes. But I also understand how he speaks because he speaks the same way that the construction workers I grew up around as a kid spoke. My dad, as you might imagine, was a tradesman. Most of his friends were tradesmen. And almost all of them sounded like Donald Trump. There was no big stories. If my father asked me a question, he wanted an answer. If I needed more than five or six words, he would get impatient and tell me, Mike, I didn't want a story. I wanted an answer, preferably a one-word answer. No nuance. Yes, no. Can be done, can't be done. I did it. I didn't do it. Those were the kinds of answers he expected. And so Donald Trump comes from that same tradition. I get it, but a lot of Americans don't. And the idea of of putting American workers ahead of foreign workers is as American as apple pie. And in fact, back in the 90s, a a true hero in the Congress, a woman by the name of Barbara Jordan, a liberal Democrat from uh, Texas, a black lady, uh, did a study on immigration. It came to be known as the Jordan Commission Report. And everything that I believe, she believed. She saw in massive quantities of foreign workers the destruction of wages and job opportunities for Americans, particularly in the American black community. We hear so much about civil rights and illegal aliens, and that's insanity. Certainly, I believe in due process. I believe in human rights. But if you want to talk about civil rights, what you're really saying is illegal aliens are supposed to be full participants in our society. That makes no sense. And let's be very clear, we're not talking about immigrants, we're talking about illegal aliens. And when Jimmy Carter demanded that immigration agents stop using the term illegal alien to describe aliens illegally present in the United States, the greatest harm that was done, besides the the ability for Americans to ultimately have an honest conversation about this critical topic, but the people who suffered the worst were the lawful immigrants. If you're not willing to make a clear distinction between true immigrants, people who come to America, waiting their turn, being carefully vetted, um, you know, expending whatever the costs were, 
in numbers that America can absorb. There's a limit. You can't, you don't, can't successfully run a country when you bring in more workers than the number of new jobs you're creating. That's a recipe for disaster, which is what we have right now. So when, when you look at true immigrants, people who've been screened, they're complying with the spirit of the law, they're complying with the letter of the law, just like my mother, just like my dad's parents, just like so many other people that I know and love and respect, then we should be welcoming you with open arms. But when people come into the country illegally, if they run the border, they're evading a vetting process conducted at ports of entry. I earlier mentioned the section of law, so do some homework. Please check out Title Eight, United States Code, Section 1182. I'll repeat it. Title Eight, United States Code, Section 1182. It lists the categories of aliens who are inadmissible. It has nothing whatsoever to do with race, religion, or ethnicity. If it did, I couldn't have enforced those laws for 30 seconds, let alone 30 years. Aliens with dangerous communicable diseases. Aliens who are mentally ill. Let's remember Ellis Island was a medical quarantine station. Biggest hospital complex in America at the time that it was completed. Okay? Aliens who are criminals, spies, terrorists, human rights violators, war criminals to be excluded. Obviously, who wants them? Fugitives from justice, aliens who've committed fraud in their applications or were previously deported. In fact, an alien who's been previously deported and comes back illegally is committing a felony that can carry as much as 20 years in a federal prison. Don't tell me this isn't a serious criminal violation. 20 years in jail. And what I'm extremely proud of is I worked with Senator Al D'Amato back in the early 80s to create that law. I approached him because we were almost never prosecuting aliens for reentry after deportation, because back then there was no distinction between aliens with criminal histories and aliens who had no criminal histories, and the maximum penalty was two years in jail. The U.S. attorney said, look, we have so many of these cases, if we took them all, we would have to shut down our office in a week. And a two-year penalty, why bother? They're going to get time served. It's a waste of everyone's time. I approached the senator over a period of six months. I convinced over 30 of my colleagues to speak with his people, and we convinced the senator. And I have to throw in that Walter Connery, who had been the head of investigations in New York, um, and also a former member of the New York City Police Department, he was the chief of internal affairs for the NYPD, became chief of internal affairs for immigration in Washington, and then came to New York to head up the investigations branch, and he was also an attorney, unbeknownst to me, had written a legislative initiative with the same exact recommendation. Serendipity, I guess, was at work. And he didn't know what I was doing. And one day we both bumped into each other at McDonald's across the street from the federal building, and he said, okay, he, said, he jokingly came to call me Uncle Mike. I have no idea why, um, tragically or sadly, I can't say tragically, but um, he, he was no youngster, but he passed away several years ago. I miss him terribly because he was a great mentor to me and a great friend. And he said, Uncle Mike, what are you up to? And I told him about the work I was doing with D'Amato, and he laughed and said, you know, I've given the senator a legislative initiative to accomplish the same goal. We got the law passed. Reentry after deportation is now the most frequently prosecuted felony that is pursued by the United States Department of Justice across the country. Think about that. If you want to find solutions, we can find solutions to problems. The issue is that the politicians from both parties don't want to find solutions to the immigration crisis. That's why there's no wall. That's why only, we only have 6,000 immigration agents for the whole country. That's why George W. Bush folded immigration in with customs and a bunch of other agencies after 9-11. And in fact, John Hostetler, who was the Republican chairman of the House Immigration Subcommittee, testified before that subcommittee at least eight times that I've been before other committees in the House and Senate. But Hostetler at this hearing back in 2005, and the hearing was on the dual missions of immigration enforcement, made the point that the way that the Bush administration put DHS together created immigration incoherence, making it impossible to secure the borders, enforce the laws, and protect the American people. That was Hostetler's actual statement on the record in his prepared remarks. So it wasn't a slip of the tongue. These were prepared remarks that he entered into the congressional record when I sat there testifying before him and the immigration subcommittee back in 2005. So understand, this is both sides of the aisle that have done this to us. Understand that this delivery system, as I started to say, delivers an unlimited supply of 
cheap labor, tourists, foreign students, and here's the real kicker, folks, an unlimited supply of clients for immigration lawyers. Bob Goodlatte, who just retired from Congress, he was the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, one of the most powerful committees in all of Congress. They oversee the FBI and DEA and the U.S. Marshal Service and immigration and the prison system and the courts. Think of how powerful that is. But Bob Goodlatte was an immigration lawyer. His specialty were the H-1B visas. And go back into the record and see how many times he tried to increase the number of H-1B visas, bring in more foreign workers, of course. That's feathering the nest of every immigration lawyer who's involved with the H-1B visa. And that was his specialty. You want to talk about a conflict of interest? I would argue that that constitutes a conflict of interest. But what do I know? Zoe Lofgren, who I believe now chairs the House Immigration Subcommittee, on the Democrat side, also an immigration lawyer. In some ways, it's good having immigration attorneys there because they understand the immigration laws and they are complex and the issues are complex. But it also opens up the possibility of a conflict of interest. You know, you don't ever hear anyone else say there's too many people violating the law, so we may as well give amnesty. And please don't tell me giving lawful status to millions of illegal aliens isn't an amnesty. It is. It is. And when people say, well, they paid their taxes, we're not talking about tax cheats, although many of them are. We're talking about people who violated the immigration laws. And the 9-11 Commission made it crystal clear that first and foremost, first and foremost, it was multiple failures of the immigration system that enabled the terrorists to enter the United States and embed themselves. And not just the 9-11 hijackers. They looked back 10 years and identified 94 terrorists who uh, entered the United States and attempted to carry out deadly attacks in the United States. So we hear this nonsense. We can't deport them all. So now we get this bait and switch between the Democrats and the Republicans. If we can't deport them all, then all we can do is give them legal status. And so the debate then becomes, do we give them a path to citizenship or, quote, unquote, only permission to work and bring their families here? Well, if they want citizenship and they're here legally and they marry an American, they can get their citizenship. But that's not the primary reason for aliens to come to America. It's to be able to work and send money home. And the amount of money they send home and the amount of money that leaves America because of the drug trade more than accounts for the annual growth in the U.S. national debt. And then you add to that Americans who lose their jobs or face wage suppression, Americans who go from being middle-class tax-paying homeowners who are consumers to people who live under the poverty line because they've lost their jobs, they've lost their homes, they're no longer consumers because they're lucky if they could put food on the table and the lights on at night, you see. And as terrible as that is, I came to a conclusion, and I wrote about this when I said in my article for Front Page Magazine that open borders push Americans to socialism. Because it's not, you know, I hear so many of my conservative friends say to me, well, the Democrats want all those immigrants to come here because they're going to vote for the Democrats. And there's an element of truth to that. But if you destroy wages for Americans, what you wind up doing is destroying the ability for Americans to take care of themselves. So they start to rely on the government. And when they rely on the government, they vote for the party that offers to help them. And it's not the Republicans, it's the Democrats. So you have millions and millions of Americans, unemployed, underemployed, who will now vote for the Democratic Party because the Democrats are offering the breaks. You know, we'll subsidize travel. We'll subsidize this. We'll subsidize that. And in exchange, we wind up losing this whole notion of the middle class here in the United States. The middle class is under attack. Alan Greenspan testified to Chuck Schumer, and I included this in my article. Please read the article. And if you like it, pass it along to your friends. Alan Greenspan said to Chuck Schumer when he was testifying on this issue of comprehensive immigration reform, referred to American middle class, highly skilled workers, in other words, the programmers and so forth, as the privileged elite. Where in the world have you ever heard of American middle-class workers being described by anybody, particularly the former chairman of the Federal Reserve Bank, referred to American middle-class workers as the privileged elite, whom he claimed were earning a wage premium that they shouldn't have been earning, but for the fact that they were being shielded from foreign competition. And he said, if we could get rid of that shield, if we could open up those quotas, and we can do what Bill Gates from Microsoft wants, 
and bring in lots and lots and lots more H-1B visa workers, we could get rid of that wage premium that those highly skilled workers are earning, thereby greatly reducing wage inequality between Americans with skills and those with lesser skills. In other words, let's kill the middle class and then the working poor, and the poor will have nothing to be envious of. Privileged elite middle class. So what we're really saying is let's have communism and then everything will be happy because we'll all be earning the same lousy paycheck. When you hear people say that we need a $15 an hour minimum wage for wage equality, what does $15 an hour make you equal to? It works out to just over 30000 a year. Do the math. Now, I know there are conservatives who disagree with me, and that's fine. As Americans, we should disagree. It's our birthright. The First Amendment, you know, the right to peaceable, to peaceable assemblage. How have we gone so far? My degree was in communications, arts, and sciences. I call it my BA and BS, you know. But debate is at the heart of a democracy. It's about discourse. It's about disagreement. Just keep it peaceful. You know, leave your clubs, your knives, and your guns at home. We don't need the battles. We don't need Antifa going out there threatening people beating up on people, punching kids on college campuses. I've seen enough of that garbage. It's infuriating and it's frightening because that's how the Holocaust started, with book burnings and with violence. College campuses are supposed to be the, the one place in the universe that should be encouraging debate and discourse and discussion, not shutting it down. I've participated in debates across America and they don't do that anymore. They don't want to hear the opposite side because you can't argue against the position I've taken, not because it's my position, but the law, the facts, common sense, and morality are all on the side that I'm on. So how do you defeat, defeat the enemy when you're on the other side of this argument? You shut down debate and you intimidate them. And the media plays right into this. If you dare suggest we secure the borders and Pelosi comes out and says that it's a wall of hate and it's racist, how can a wall be racist? You would think that the wall was designed to cut America off from Mexico. And I bet that there are some Americans out there who have been conned into believing that. So I'm going to tell you something that's going to shock you. The wall is designed to stop nobody. It's not designed to stop people from entering the United States. Now that you've gotten off the floor, let me explain it to you. The wall is designed to funnel all traffic through a port of entry so the inspectors can know who's coming in, make certain we don't let in the criminals or the others, as I described earlier, that are enumerated in Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1182. It's a very important job. It's a job I'm very familiar with. Because that was the job I first held when I was hired by the INS in 1971. I was an inspector at Kennedy Airport for the first four years of my career before I became a special agent. And we made our decisions based on law, based on whether or not someone could come into the United States and support themselves, that they had the wherewithal and so forth. We would check to see if they had criminal histories, if they were wanted fugitives. That's what it's about. When people run the border... They are evading a vetting process conducted at ports of entry, not unlike the way TSA screens people getting on airplanes. I don't know any rational person, not one, who would get on an airplane if they saw individuals sneaking past TSA and then get on the airplane. You'd look at that and say, oh, no, I'm not getting on that plane. Something's wrong here. But today we are living among millions and millions of people who snuck into the country and evaded the vetting process conducted at the ports of entry. So all that the wall would do is make certain that people and cargo have to be inspected, have to be vetted, which is what the law requires, before they enter the United States. How is that racist? How is that hate, you see? So it's lie after lie. And what the media then says is if you want the laws enforced, you are described as being anti-immigrant. If you want open borders and immigration anarchy, you are described as pro-immigrant. Then you have politicians saying, we need to protect the immigrants from immigration. New York's Governor Cuomo referred to ICE agents as thugs. 
if you read what the 9-11 Commission had to say, it was a lack of interior enforcement as well as a lack of border security that enabled terrorists to enter the United States and in the parlance of the 9-11 Commission embed themselves, hide in plain sight, so they could go about their deadly preparations. And if you think it's only about terrorists, it's not. Um, one of the functions that we do at ports of entry, and I say we because I did this for four years, and I got a very nice letter from U.S. Public Health, is to screen passengers to make certain they're not ill. And I remember one young man coming in from Jamaica. I see it's not Mexico. I don't know how we got into this focus on Mexico, except politically the Border Patrol has been very powerful. My biggest adversary is a special agent for resources. My biggest adversary was the Border Patrol. They got the lion's share of the money. They got the new cars. We actually used to get new cars in New York, but they really weren't new. They were Border Patrol cars. After they beat the hell out of them and put 130,000 miles on them, we would get them. And these cars were, were, were absolutely train wrecks. But, but that's what we drove around in. I remember one time we got a delivery of brand new cars. We couldn't believe it because we were so used to getting beat up green and white Border Patrol cars that we would send off to some cheap uh, body shop to have them spray painted some other colors so that they didn't have the Border Patrol green and white paint scheme. So the Border Patrol has driven immigration, and everyone thinks we have, we have four border states, you know, California, New Mexico, Arizona, Texas. In reality, we have 50 border states. Any state with an international airport, seaport, uh, or, or lies along the coastline, or, or lies on the northern or southern borders are all border states. But this is all part of the misinformation that's being spewed routinely, so Americans don't have a clear understanding of what's really at stake here. And so if you understand the issues, you understand that this is being driven by unbridled greed. And if you look at the drug trade coming across the border, now we're hearing this nonsense. Well, look at all the drugs seized, the ports of entry. That's what we need to beef up are the ports of entry. Just don't beef up the spaces between ports of entry. That's nuts. That's nuts. Because lots of drugs get seized between ports of entry, but I can guarantee you more gets through by sneaking past the inspections or the scrutiny of the Border Patrol than happens at ports of entry. We need to take care of all of those holes in the system. You know, I've come to compare the wall on the border with a wing on an airplane. Without the wing, the airplane doesn't fly, but the wing by itself goes nowhere. If you look at how U.S. national security is, is addressed, we have several, five branches of the military, about to get six space now, to address each area of vulnerability. The Air Force, the Navy, the Marines, the Army, the Coast Guard. It's about looking at all of the vulnerabilities and meeting it with the necessary force to keep America secure. Um, if you consider the Mexican border to be a big hole in the bottom of your boat, it's only one of many. Most of the terrorists don't come through ports of don't come by running the border, but they come through ports of entry. But that's not to say that terrorists haven't come into the United States illegally. If you look at some of the articles I've written, we know that Hezbollah, which is a terrorist organization sponsored by Iran, is working very closely with the human traffickers, the drug smugglers. They're bringing sleeper agents into the United States, a number of whom have been arrested, and they were. Um, staking out locations. They were, they were checking places out, doing surveillance and so forth. We know we're at risk. You know, after 9-11, everybody wanted to know why didn't anyone connect the dots. If you look at a succession of hearings about sleeper agents, about the problems on the borders, if you look at the problems within the immigration system, how we've naturalized terrorists, um, think about the Tsarnaev brothers. They got political asylum. One was a naturalized citizen. Uh, we've had other attacks like that. Faisal Shahzad, the Times Square bomber, was naturalized the year before he set off the, the bomb at Times Square. My goodness. The immigration law requires that a good moral character investigation be done before we grant citizenship to an alien. Today, we're lucky if they get the fingerprints back. Everything has been shortcutted. It started with the, with the Clinton administration when they ran a program called CUSA, Citizenship USA. They ran more than 1.1 million applications for citizenship through the system so quickly that in many cases, aliens were naturalized before their fingerprints came back. And it turned out that not only should they have not been given citizenship, thousands should have been deported. And immigration employees complained to Internal Affairs, the Office of Inspector General, 
and the Office of Inspector General, in point of fact, found that there was a lot of misfeasance and malfeasance, but they could never make a political connection. I'm not so sure I agree with that, but that, but at least they certainly verified there was a problem. And in fact, one of my co- friends and a former colleague, he was the chief of investigations at a major office, testified before Congress, referred to that program as the Jiffy Lube process, and he was within weeks removed as the director of investigations for a major office for telling the truth to Congress. Both parties, the Democrats and the Republicans, really and truly want the status quo. They're getting campaign contributions from globalists, whether it's the Chamber of Commerce, whether it's various organizations, whether it's Silicon Valley, it doesn't matter. If we really want to make certain that Americans have a bright future, then our government needs to look out for the Americans, American students, American workers, American families. When you bring in foreign workers and Americans lose their jobs or American wages are suppressed, it hurts America, but it's also hurting these people. How in the world does a country turn its back on its own citizens and then have the unmitigated chutzpah to criticize the Americans who stand up and say this has to stop? An ICE agent uh, spoke at a school, the middle school, and and this was also the topic of one of the articles that I wrote. So we have an ICE agent who wound up speaking at at a school, and incredibly, this newspaper uh, came out and said, the newspaper, by the way, is the news leader. It's a subsidiary of USA Today. This isn't, you know, a little small town rag. They're hooked into USA Today. And they demanded that the school should apologize because an ICE agent addressed the students in the school. How terrible is that? And, and, they, and they flat out lied. And l- let me start out reading how the article begins. And by the way, as an immigration agent, I was frequently asked to address the classes where my kids went to school, public school, because it was a big deal. I'd show up with my raid gear, my, my raid jacket, the walkie-talkie, the handcuffs, and I would explain what we did. And I would also take the opportunity to talk about children, about, you know, if they go to a house, see a gun or whatever, get out of the room, get the adult to say no to drugs, be careful about strangers and cars, uh, be concerned about not being pulled off the street because children can be abducted, they can be vulnerable. And, and everyone loved the talks I gave. There was nothing controversial about that. But that was 10, 15 years ago. Look how the climate in America has changed. Look how it's changed. In fact, I was asked, and this was around the time of 9-11, by both the parents and the principal to take on the responsibility of being the president of the Parents Association of my daughter's public school, and I was happy to do it. I served as the president of the the PTA, or the PA, the Parents Association, um, for a full year at the behest of both the parents and the principal. I was very honored. Today, ICE agents, they're the follow-on to INS, are being treated as, as though they're stormtroopers. And I'm doubly infuriated, being Jewish, having had my family suffer such horrendous losses to the Nazis, as did so many other people. I mean, look, 13 million people at least killed by the Nazis. It wasn't just the 6 million Jews, significant as that was. It was an effort of genocide. But the point is, to compare valiant law enforcement officers to stormtroopers, You know, this is the kind of stuff that's getting agents hurt. It's causing people to not want to speak to the agents and give them actionable intelligence. And guess who gets shielded, by the way, in sanctuary cities? It's unscrupulous employers. It's human traffickers. Because if ICE is able to get their hands on people who are smuggled, I did these investigations. I was part of the anti-smuggling unit in New York. I was in every squad. Plus, I was the first immigration agent assigned to the Unified Intelligence Division of the special agent and assigned to the Drug Enforcement Task Force. The Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force is the same outfit that took down El Chapo Guzman. And where was he operating? In New York City. Why? Well, in large measure, because New York not only has access to transportation, but it's a sanctuary city. That always figures prominently in the thinking and in the strategy of terrorists and criminals. You go where the police aren't going to cooperate with immigration authorities. So, you know, when you look at the lunacy, uh, what we're really doing in sanctuary cities is shielding employers, 
human traffickers and gangs because those people are vulnerable to what immigration agents can do. And one of the big lies that we constantly hear, and it makes me furious, is that the illegal alien won't come forward when they're injured or when they're attacked for fear that they're going to be deported. Aliens who are the victims of crime who cooperate with law enforcement are entitled to visas. They can stay here. And if the mayors and governors of those sanctuary entities, sanctuary jurisdictions, were really concerned about the immigrants, quote-unquote, they would be encouraging them to work with ICE agents to help dismantle the human trafficking organizations. That's the way you go after them. Have the police work with ICE, dismantle those organizations, go after the gangs, and so forth. I know I did that work. When I was a DEA intelligence, my boss was a New York City police sergeant, believe it or not. We also had people up there from the New York State Police and other local police and state police organizations, as well as the FBI and DEA and ATF and British Customs and the Royal Canadian Mounted Police all worked together. It was a multiplier effect. It was synergy, everybody working together to, to achieve a common goal. But you wouldn't know it to listen to the media. So, so here's how the lie starts out. This is this article now. If you were born in 1968 or before, you've spent most of your adult life in America without any awareness of ICE because it didn't exist. There was no entity called U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement. It was only created in 2003. Before that time, we had immigration officials who dealt with cases of people overstaying their visas or being in the country illegally. We had the FBI to investigate criminal issues related to terrorism as it relates to trade, travel, and immigration. ICE is a modern creation, an experiment, and it's one we should regret. Well, let me tell you what. That article makes it sound as though immigration agents made no arrests. And, in fact, the article goes on and talks about how the ICE agents now raid factories. I started raiding factories in 1975 when I first became an immigration agent. I prosecuted aliens who were found in possession of firearms in 19, uh, I guess we did a major gun takedown. I took five guns out of a drug dealer's house around 1980, 1981, somewhere around there. And we criminally prosecuted the alien, not the FBI. I did as an immigration agent because there's a specific statute, illegal alien in possession of a firearm, illegal alien in possession of ammunition. That was our jurisdiction. When I was, in, uh, I acted as an adjudicator in 1976. We arrested a crooked lawyer who was arranging marriages between Chinese seamen who had jumped ship and Puerto Rican lesbian hookers. They couldn't speak a common language. They had nothing in common culturally, but they were married. Well, it was sham marriages, marriage fraud. The lawyer was disbarred. He was arrested, criminally prosecuted. So when you hear this nonsense that until they created ICE, immigration didn't do anything. That's not the case. There was much wrong with immigration. But the creation of DHS actually in many ways made things worse, not better. But the point of the matter is immigration agents always did that sort of work. But you wouldn't know it to read the article. Then the article goes on quoting the ACLU and talks about how ICE is now working in collusion with the adjudicators of Citizenship and Immigration Services. So these people are coming in for green cards and they're being pounced on by ICE agents who arrest them. How terrible is that? And they cited some guy who was taking his wife to the hospital, not to give birth, by the way, although they made it sound that way, simply for treatment. She was pregnant, and he stopped, and the guy was arrested by ICE agents. ICE offered to tell, help the woman get to the hospital. That wasn't in the report either. It was in other reports. But the bottom line was this guy wasn't just an illegal alien. He was wanted for murder in Mexico. Think about that. He was wanted for murder. ICE arrested him, and the newspaper is up in arms. How dare they arrest this guy who was wanted for murder in Mexico? He was an immigrant. And as far as the collusion goes, if you're a criminal alien, which is why they were arrested by ICE, you're not entitled to the immigration benefit you're filing for. They think they can get away with it, or they lie on the application, just like that Chinese seaman that I, that I encountered when I was doing the interviews. Uh, I assure you, he didn't get his green card. He was deported. So he actually could have been prosecuted, as could his so-called wife, for lying on an application. And by the way, 
fraud in conjunction with a visa application, if you're involved with terrorism, carries up to 20 or 25 years in jail. These are serious felonies. These aren't jaywalking citations. But you would never know it. So between the news media making the case that this is all terrible and the language that they use, anti-immigrant, pro-immigrant, why not pro-enforcement? Why not people who seek immigration anarchy? We admit 1.1 million lawful immigrants last year. We admitted over 1 million lawful immigrants last year. We're hearing all this business about the Trump administration is anti-immigrant. They're not. But there's a distinction to be drawn between illegal immigration and legal immigration. I like to say that the difference between an immigrant and an illegal alien is comparable to the difference between a house guest and a burglar. But you're not hearing that in the media. Everyone is identified as an immigrant. My wife was working in a synagogue near our house, and a young lady, or not so young lady, one of the women in the temple came to my wife, all upset, right after President Trump was elected. And she said to my wife, my God, I hope I'm not going to be deported. And my wife was kind of taken aback, and she said, what's the problem? She said, well, the newspaper said that President Trump is determined to deport the immigrants. And that was the headline. Trump said he will deport the immigrants. What an outrageous headline. The woman had a green card. She was married to an American citizen. She had American children in the United States and had no criminal history. And my wife said to her, you realize, of course, that that's not the case. She said, you know, my husband was an immigration agent. You have a green card. You have nothing to worry about. She said that her husband had told her the same thing, but it was just very upsetting to pick up a newspaper and see this big headline, Trump promises to deport the immigrants. This is the kind of damage being done by people who profess to be journalists. You know, I had thought about becoming a journalist myself. Journalists and federal agents and detectives are supposedly very similar. In both professions, whether it's law enforcement or journalism, you're supposed to be a fact finder. You conduct an investigation. For the journalist, the ultimate goal is a story, hopefully a factually accurate story. And for the agent or the detective, the result might be an arrest, it might be an indictment, it might be a search warrant, or it could be that someone is going to be exonerated because you find that the person did nothing wrong. And I did plenty of those. One of my happiest memories of being an immigration agent in my 30 years was a guy that we had arrested for, on the suspicion of being an illegal alien. And as we questioned him, he was working in a factory. We asked him about his parents. It turned out that his father had become a naturalized citizen by serving in the military when he was a young boy. Well, guess what? That guy that we thought was here illegally from the Caribbean, I believe he was either from Jamaica or Trinidad, was actually an American citizen who derived it when his father became a citizen. He was a, a child at the time. He actually was an American citizen and never knew it. And it was one of the most amazing days because this guy literally fell to his knees crying and thanking us. And I don't think there was a dry eye in my office. We were all ecstatic. We're painted, immigration agents are painted as these villains. We're not villains. We're people doing a job a job that protects national security and public safety and the jobs of Americans. And when you look at the nonsense in the media, and when you see the steady drumbeat of the false accusations about ICE agents being thugs, ICE agents are getting assaulted far more frequently now. It's getting more difficult to recruit decent people to become ICE agents because of the way that the media is portraying these valiant law enforcement officers they provide the second largest contingent of, of law enforcement personnel to the Joint Terrorism Task Force because foreign nationals who engage in terrorism all violate the immigration laws. That's how important immigration is, but yet we only have about 6,000 ICE agents for the whole country, and more than half of them aren't even doing immigration work. And if you speak to the people in Washington, as I do, they will tell you, you cannot get bills passed through Congress if the bill requires the hiring of more agents. When I was at Michael Chertoff, we both spoke at Chapman Law School. I said to him, Mike, we need more agents. He says, where were you to get the money from? I said, the money for what? 
I said, we have over a million men and women in the armed forces. We have over 45,000 people working for TSA, and you have 6,000 ICE agents. I said, are you serious? And by the way, mentioning military and ICE, I want you to think of something. I know much is made when the military assists ICE on the border or the Border Patrol on the border. But in reality, the Border Patrol and immigration enforcement officers who back up the military. The primary shared mission of all five branches of the U.S. Armed Forces is to keep America's enemies as far from our shores as possible. But up close and in person, that task then falls to the Border Patrol and backing them up, the ICE agents. The inspectors at ports of entry are screening to make sure that enemy combatants don't get into our country as well. So when you talk about putting up a wall, it makes sense. Not to block America off, you know, Obama with that infamous remark, oh, they're looking for a moat. Next, they'll want alligators in the moat. Nobody wants a moat, folks. Mexico is a huge trading partner of the United States. All that the wall would do is make certain that people couldn't sneak in. It's the way you lock your doors and windows at night. So if someone wants to come into your house, they have to knock on the front door, you look through the peephole, and you make a decision as to whether or not it's safe to let that person into your house. If someone came in through your back window in the middle of the night, I don't think you'd call them a guest, but you would call the police. People walking out of the bank with money in their hand might be customers, but if they got the money not by filling out a form, but by presenting a firearm and sticking it in the, in the teller's face, you don't call that an undocumented withdrawal, okay? That's a crime. It's interesting. Chuck Schumer has been clear. A couple of years ago, he called for a federal law, new federal law, good old Chuck, that would make um, trespass on critical infrastructure or landmarks a five-year felony. He said, right now, New York City, it's a misdemeanor. It only carries a year in jail. That's not a strong enough punishment. It's not deterring anybody. And he said, I don't care if you're an, an adrenaline junkie or a criminal. If you trespass, you're doing something that's dangerous, and we have to stop it. And he even mentioned the 16-year-old boy. And that's how he phrased it on his official Senate website. 16-year-old boy who had climbed the World Trade Center when the new tower was under construction to take a picture. He said, that kid did something dangerous, and we've got to discourage it by putting people in jail. At a minimum, aliens who evade the vetting process at ports of entry, at a minimum, are trespassing on America. The same Chuck Schumer who would have put a 16-year-old boy in jail for trespassing on the Trade Center when it was under construction probably have given that boy so-called, uh, or he is a boy actually, but the way he defined him as a boy, would probably have given him citizenship if he could. DACA, by the way, and I have to mention this quickly, we're running short on time, deferred action childhood arrival. You're going to be hearing more about it as, as we try to work out solutions. Please remember the background from DACA. There was an effort to pass comprehensive immigration reform back in the mid-2008, uh, 2007, around that time. I testified before a number of hearings about it. I wrote an op-ed for the Washington Times where I gave comprehensive immigration reform a new name. I came to call it the Terrorist Assistance and Facilitation Act. I called it that because there would have been no way to interview all these people, let alone do field investigations to make certain that among them wouldn't be criminals and terrorists. You know, after 9-11, we kept hearing the same mantra. The terrorists only got to be right once in order to attack us. We have to be right 100% of the time to prevent the attack. Every single alien who succeeds in entering the United States creates an opportunity for the terrorists to get it right. The idea of legalizing people um, who came into the country illegally is a very crazy idea. It's dangerous. Ronald Reagan tried it. It was supposed to involve a million. We wound up with almost four million. We're being told there's 11 million now in the country. Uh, and Harvard and MIT, by the way, have estimated there might be 25 million. They don't know. I think it's even more than that. Consider how sanctuary cities refuse to even ask questions about people's place of birth or immigration status. We could wind up with 100 million immigrants in the United States, overwhelming the educational system, overwhelming all of our systems. You know, uh, the Congressional Budget Office did a study that said that it costs 20 to 40 percent more to educate children who can't speak, write, or write English. Today, money is being taken from programs that help kids with learning disabilities and it's being used for English as a second language. 
Why does compassion not involve American children? I keep coming back to that same question. Families take care of their own children before they give money to charity. You don't give money to charity if your own kids are going to bed hungry at night or if you can't afford to buy them decent clothing. So understand what this is all about. So anyway, comprehensive reform didn't pass. Senator Sessions quoted me from the floor of the Senate, claimed that the ability to use that phrase helped him to defeat the legislation, sent me a very nice certificate to commemorate it. So we had the DREAM Act, which was supposed to be about children, but it really wasn't. It was a con game. The age cutoff was 35. The alien would just have to claim that they came before they were 16, but they could be as old as 35. Why 35? Because back then, demographers estimated that over 90% of the illegal alien population was 35 or younger. This was a backdoor amnesty to give all the illegal aliens, plus God knows how many more would come here and lie about how long they were here. Again, that's the problem. You run the border. There's no record of entry created. Well, that was turned down. President Obama said Congress failed to act. Voting no is not a failure to act, folks. Voting no is, is in fact, the action that Congress does. They vote yes or they vote no. It's not, it's not a failure to act. DACA would have put the age at 31. Basically, it was the DREAM Act without the benefit of the DREAM Act. And by the way, the A in DREAM Act is the word alien, this terrible word that Jimmy Carter ordered that we never use again. It's been scam after scam. And the biggest reason for DACA to fill the waiting rooms of immigration law firms from coast to coast and border to border with clients. And by the way, you may not know this, comprehensive immigration reform would have paid the legal fees for the aliens. And some folks naively said to me, well, they're obviously pandering to the illegal. You don't pander to the powerless. This was to make sure that the immigration lawyers got paid. Understand that everyone is feeding at the trough. If you look at the drug money, it's washing through Wall Street, real estate um, deals, um, and, and banks. Trillions of dollars being drained out of the U.S. economy. The deficit that America has can be traced to a failure of border security. You would think in this dangerous era, you would think that with 70,000 people dying of opiate overdoses, you would think that with the violent MS-13 gangs and other gangs from all over the world, uh, you know, this isn't about Latin America only. Human nature is human nature. I don't care where you come from. Every race, every religion, every ethnicity has the good, the bad, and the ugly. I have arrested people from all over the planet. I got an award from the government of Japan for helping them with a young lady, a citizen of Japan, who was involved with a cocaine smuggling operation. I worked closely with the Israeli National Police. My first fraud case caused me to trip over a terror plot in Israel. We prevented the bombing of an oil refinery. Immigration is critical to national security from so many perspectives. It's critical to public safety from so many perspectives. And it's critical for opportunities for Americans to make certain that Americans not have to compete with foreign workers for jobs. The old-time Democrats stood behind the American worker. If the current crop of Democrats were truly Democrats, they would be the most ardent supporters of secure borders to protect the lives and the jobs of American workers. But they've betrayed that trust. They have a political agenda, agenda that doesn't coincide with what's in our best interests. And the Republicans, of course, have always wanted cheap, exploitable labor. So today there is nobody standing behind the average American worker. And uh, Donald Trump has been making it clear that that's what he's trying to accomplish. And he's being attacked by the globalists from both parties. Understand the issue. Understand that this is about pushing America to the left and the media is complicit. As Americans, we have an obligation to ourselves, to our children, to our neighbors, stand up and get our voices heard. You know, I always like to make the point that democracy is not a spectator sport. What is so critical is to have access to the truth and share the truth and have those open conversations. The first symptom of a democracy that's faltering is the loss of freedom of speech. Think about the intimidation factor where freedom of speech is concerned. Think about the propaganda that passes for the evening news all too frequently. We as Americans need to push back and we need to shoulder the responsibility of making certain to be the best citizens that we can be to protect America 
Americans and the future of our children. And that's something that all Americans must do. I want you to know how much I appreciate you spending this uh, last hour with me. Please go to my website. It's michaelcutler.net. Please check out my articles at frontpagemag.com and The Social Contract. In fact, there's an article in The Social Contract, Sanctuary Country, Immigration Failures by Design, that will lay out much of this in greater detail. And then please share these materials with as many folks as you can and be part of what I call my bucket brigade of truth. Thank you so much. Have a great weekend. See you next week. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.